Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Layered Butter. It's me, your host, Rod, and... Raph, I'm here. Yeah, and we're here another week again. And before we get started, we have a really good episode this week. We do want to remind you of a couple of things. If you go over to layeredbutter.com, you can find our special digital bundle, which includes digital codes for all four of our published issues in a very special mystery print Raph, did you order yours yet? Did you order yours yet? Oh, I need to, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Raph, get on that, buddy. And also, don't forget that we are on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash layeredbutter and sign up for one of our tiers. You can become a patron. You can get very involved in how we run our magazine. So head over and do that today. Raph, we have a very special episode today. We have a very special guest, none other than Editor-in-Chief Mark Wangas. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Hello, hello, everybody. Hey, Mark. How are we going? <laughs> yeah, now we have a crowd going. So, guys, I want to get us started because we have a, a pretty jam-packed episode. So let's kick off our pre-show. Um, there's a lot happening in the news and nothing really more important than what Warner Brothers has announced. They have said that go for the year 2021, all their movies are going to go at the same time to theaters wherever possible and for a period of roughly a month to HBO Max. This includes a lot of movies like the Suicide Squad sequel, Godzilla vs. Kong, their new Dune movie, The Matrix 4, etc., etc., etc. How do you guys feel about that? Mark, why don't we start with you? What were your thoughts when you saw that news? I just feel like the gauntlet has been dropped. You know how yeah. the pandemic really started with Trolls World Tour being the first, <laughs> you know, Hollywood movie to really just go day and date. It's like, screw the theaters. We're just going to put this online. You're now, right. Yeah. Is, is, we'll do you one better. We're going to drop the entire <laughs> slate online. It's, it, it's like, screw the consumer in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, here, the, the one major thing that really bugs me is that you know, for me, I'm a huge sucker for going to the theater. I yeah. love going to see something in IMAX. I love having mm-hmm. that big immersive visual and being engrossed with an entire audience. And for me, I don't really subscribe to the Disney Plus to, well, I mean, I have Netflix and Criterion, but that's a whole different right. other thing. But mm-hmm. HBO Max isn't even available in Canada, you know, where we're all based. And yes. And even that, they don't have that big of a subscriber base to justify, in a way, the cost of doing that. Because mm-hmm. as Christopher Nolan, I'm sure, as you know, we, we might even talk about soon, he just had this open letter to just say, this is going to ruin everything. I Yeah. It, it, listen, it, when you've already put this idea out there, put this nugget out there, and you've disrupted an entire industry, mm-hmm. there's no coming back. There's no way yeah. that that yeah. the other students aren't going to take this into account. Heck, Disney's already, you know, said, "All right, fine, we're going to try with Mulan, sell it for thirty bucks, and then later in December it's going to be up for free." With Soul, we're just yeah. going to put it on yeah. for free. It, it, it's just we're seeing an industry that's already been changing in motion. All these mm-hmm. students are going to try to do as you know as much as they can to mitigate their own risk. And yeah. with HB, uh, with Warner Brothers and HBO, they just have to grow the subscriber base. They have to yeah. make sure I, I to justify that probably, cost. I think that's probably what this is, an attempt to grow the subscriber base and yeah. also mitigate some of their losses, as we see, even with vaccination coming over, that you know countries don't really expect to be fully vaccinated until Q3, Q4 of 2021, right? Raf, um, I, I know that we're going to talk more about how important theaters are to the movie experience um, in our main feature, but I have a question for you. Of these movies that have been announced, are there any that you would not have seen if they were going to theaters, but now that they're going to be in home, like at home, will you give them a chance? Um, You know what? I... <laughs> I never knew Clint Eastwood has a new film that's coming out. That's one thing. This guy drops movies yeah. every single year. Um, uh, but um, I don't know. Like a lot of their major films that are coming out this year are pretty big enough that I would probably spend some time to go into the theater. And I would love to, you know, experience it in the theater. But, you know, am I really going to go and, and uh, you know, watch Space Jam in theaters? Um, um, uh, you'd be a fool not to. Sorry to interrupt. You'd be a fool not to. <laughs> I mean, from what you I've want heard, support, oh man, support Bugs Bunny latest project. Buddy. <laughs> I, I'll support Bugs Bunny. I'll I'll do that. <laughs> but I mean, like I don't know. Like there, there's a little bit in me that's going to be like, okay, maybe I'll pass. Maybe I don't need to see this movie today or maybe later. I'll just wait for it when it comes on streaming. Um, uh, Conjuring, 
I mean, one thing's the new Conjuring film. Um, I watched the first Conjuring in theaters. I loved it. Um, and the rest of it, I just didn't care for. But since yeah. it's coming out to HBO Max, um, sure, They'll I'll give, give it a, a shot. shot. Yeah, I'll just give it a shot because it's interesting. Yeah, like I said, I think we're going to chat more about it ahead, so I don't want to yeah. uh, spend too much time on it. But it's it's uh, worth having a conversation about. I think. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to chat with you guys about on Variety.com. If you head over there, you can find an article that's talking about the the big gender gap that we see in Hollywood, but specifically in the critical acclaim of Hollywood films. They did a study, and what they found is that there's a big difference between the best uh, best film nominated pictures and how that correlates to uh, best actors being nominated or best actresses, right? And so my question to you is, do you think the Academy is doing enough to kind of um, make significant changes to bring that up to up to our times and have a bit more equality there? Uh, or what do you what other changes would you like to see? Uh, Mark, why don't we start with you? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's up to the Academy to decide something like that. It's a mixture of the producers and the exhibitors and the studios to really come Mm -hmm. up with these stories to make sure that – I'm not going to say represent every single faction of human life, but a variety of stories that at least reflect the human experience or you know, true – stories true events that Mm -hmm. you know that can be reflected i don't think i think that's i think that's absolutely fair then let me rephrase it to you in a different way like where do you think the problem is or like where could we attack this problem to to perfect it do you think it's at a producer level at a writer level like where are we seeing that big gap i think it's more at a producer level the producer who either brings financing to the film or you know when you attach certain characters or stars or story to your production, you know, you have to have that kind of bankable notion of why this needs to be made, of who mm-hmm. what is this really going to showcase? Is it showcasing a story? Is it showcasing an actor? Is it an actress set, uh, you know, Oscar bait pitch piece? It, it's right. really up to how a producer wants to approach their production, because at the end of the day, these movies are really just meant to make money. It's not just for the art of it. It's not just to... Yeah. The representation there also is an economic element to this yeah there's yeah. a big business side to to all these decisions yeah and i wanted to say that um you know uh, the academy i think they're 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 trying their best to include as many different you know um uh um films into um their nominations as they can but at the end of the day mark is right i do think it's a producer thing i think um, more producers have to be more open to different kind of stories um uh different um uh characters and different um um representations um on, on film these days but you know um i i think we're getting there but i i think we still have a long way to go um uh in the next couple of years Go watch the Independent Spirit Awards. They are so much better than the Oscars. And oh, yeah. They always have Nick Kroll as a host, and he's lovely. So I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, one final story before we head over to our break. Uh, Hollywood production seems to be struggling in the U.S. because of the higher COVID numbers, but you know, seems to be soaring in places like Canada and yeah. New Zealand where they have things under control. Do you guys have a sense of how COVID will be affecting not necessarily this year and the blockbusters that have just been pushed forward. But as we start looking to the fall and when we start seeing like critically acclaimed films, like do you think studios are on track for that or are, are we going to have another kind of empty year at the end? Um, I, I'll start ahead, start, no, 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 Raph, you go first. I'm going to put you <laughs> on the spot this time. I watched okay, twice fair. already. <laughs> That's, that, that, yeah. I was going to say, I, I tried to save you there, but <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I think, you know, uh, a lot of my friends are still in the industry. They're still working. They're going crazy. Um, but I do think they're going to, it's going to take a toll on the crews uh, because they'll be working nonstop. There'll be absolutely no breaks. Um, if, if um, you know, um, cases continue to stay a bit stagnant where we are and um, it's not as crazy as it, as it is in the States. Um, so I do think it's going to boom, but I'm expecting with everything that's happening right now, Things to slow down just around, you know, 
um, let's say March, or maybe it might go into the summer. I don't know. Usually at this time um, in the film industry here in Canada, December to February is kind of quiet. You'll get a lot of studio shows, not a lot of mm-hmm. location shoots. Um, but right now there it's, you know, there's like 16 pages on the hot lists right now. There's a lot of productions going on. Um, I just hope mm-hmm. we just don't burn out. That's really it. You know, I, I, I hope there's a lot more opportunity for, the cruise, but also the stories. I mean, we want to keep watching movies and TV. Anything to add there, Mark? We always need more content. If there's no content, these these streamers die. So if yeah. anything, so if anything, these these productions will continue to work in some capacity. You know, yeah. there might there uh, thanks to digital technology. You know, you can shoot a scene in one country and shoot something in another part of the country and have the actors kind of interact in that way. I feel like what we're going to see a lot more coming out of the studios are cheaper. uh, I I wouldn't call, I wouldn't emulate them as more of the seventies dramas where they're more personal and smaller and more intimate stories. Yeah. Intimate. Yeah. Intimate would probably be the the right word for that. I mean, we we've read reports and we've read stories of productions that uh, in LA that have wrapped with maybe a 20, 30 person crew. Yeah. With uh, what was it? Zendaya and oh man. The uh, name John David Washington, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, where they finished that film. You know, I, I think that these films are still going to be made. Films are still going to be made. It's just going to be how ballsy the crews and the productions are. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and whether or not they can work with the unions, whether or not yeah. there is, there are those safety precautions constantly in place that doesn't jeopardize entire that doesn't jeopardize an entire crew doesn't jeopardize an entire production yeah i agree i think it's going to be interesting to see how even once we move past covid how it has affected kind of the slate of films that they had planned ahead so i guess you know we'll, we'll all have to wait and see and i think it's going to be interesting to take a look at uh, i think that's pretty much it for our pre-show when we come back we're going to have a deeper dive into a little bit more about what's happening with Warner Brothers and whether or not a theater is essential to the movie experience. Whoa. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. <laughs> Layered Butter is brought to you by Ola Translation. Raf, do you know any Spanish? No comprende español. But if you had Ola Translation, you could comprende español because Ola Translation is a Spanish translation agency that can help you translate anything you need into the world's fourth most spoken language. Merci. Fourth most spoken, eh? What are the what are the other three? Do you think three most spoken languages? Uh, I, I I'm gonna say Spanish, French, Cant- Mandarin. Yes, I think Mandarin is right. I think probably English is there. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I forgot English. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, whether you're looking for advertising or you're looking to make a bigger impact in the Hispanic community or you need documents translated from Spanish to English, Ola Translation offers quick service and competitive prices. Ola Translation is offering Layered Butter listeners 5% off all their services across the board. Just use the code BUTTER. Who doesn't like a deal, right, Raf? BUTTER! And we're back. So, guys, I have an important question for you. Um, This has been on my mind ever since the Warner Brother news kind of broke out and the way that people are framing this discussion. Frankly, it's been something that I've thought about even beforehand. Um, How do you guys feel about the notion that a theater, a physical building with a big screen is essential to the movie experience? Um, you know, as we know, Warner Brothers has said that they will allow their films to premiere in theaters and also on HBO Max for a month. Netflix has been doing a similar thing for a while to try to get both into, you know, people's TVs and also into major awards. How do you guys feel that these two things are connected? Mark, I think you mentioned earlier that you love going to IMAX. So maybe talk about uh, your experience and how you view those two things. So for me, whenever I go to a theater, it's a place that is not full of distraction. Um, I feel that the relationship with me and my movie-going experiences tie to a more communal aspect where the crowd is more into 
viewing what they're seeing, being part of this moment, this shared collective moment that we can celebrate, whether, you know, you're going to a giant blockbuster or you're at a film festival, or even if you're going out with your friends, going out with your buddies, there's Mm -hmm. always, there's always this kind of memory that you can attach to it that I feel gets lost when you bring something to streaming in a way, the way that we consume the entertainment, the way that we consume it as a group, because, you know, when Netflix really became bigger with house of cards, everybody starts binging shows and binging shows and reliving shows that, Oh, it just becomes more swallowing. We don't have time to digest. And, you know, maybe a few years ago when David Lynch uh, and Showtime did the newer limited series of Twin Peaks, and it was done week by week, leading fans of the original series or even new viewers to kind of ponder over the next week what what they really saw and what they reflected. I feel like we don't get that a lot now. I um, I believe The Mandalorian or with Disney Plus did that recently with the second season, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Or uh, yeah. So I feel that the relationship of how we view our entertainment definitely changes. And that's why for me, the movie experience is unlike any other, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, you see something in IMAX when it's filmed in IMAX Mm -hmm. or, you know, you go to a film festival premiere when the stars are there or, you know, your local repertory theater is hosting a a drunken cinema screening of the lost boys. There's always something so nice about being there with a group of people in a darkened room with no distraction. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a not particularly highbrow example, but when I went to see Avengers Endgame, as I'm sure many people have already seen it, there's a couple of moments there that are, mm-hmm. you know, I guess a bit fan service or whatever. But the reaction in the audience was like a palpable moment of like this interaction between audience and screen. And I do think that's something that you just can't replicate unless you're all in a the theater. Yeah. Um, Raph, what about you? Do you also feel like these two things are intri- intricately connected? 100%. I think Mark hit the nail right uh, on the head. I think um, that's something you can't replicate at home. And while I, I'm going to spew hot butter take later about HBO Max and whatnot, I, I do think it's something that you can't replicate at home because let's say you're, you, you know, you're going to put on the new um, Suicide Squad film, but your phone keeps mm-hmm. ringing and you're going to, you know, you're going to answer it. You're going to go on uh, WhatsApp. You're going to go on Instagram, whatever. It's easy yeah. to be distracted, whereas in the theater you are immersed. There is you are you're part of a shared experience, right? Right. So I mean, for me, the only thing I'm worried about with this new deal is that will theaters die, and will will that experience become a thing of the past? I surely hope mm-hmm. not. And um, um, you know, I, I think you know, growing up, we always think of movies as a place to go for an escape. And I just hope that escape is still there when this is all over, you know? Right. And, and now, I mean, I I think we've kind of established where we all um, come from and that we're all big fans of, of the movie experience in theaters. I do want to do want to bring up certain points that maybe advocate for, for a different imagining of a movie. I remember when uh, Roma was going through the award circuits, there was, um, this piece that from Spielberg and how he was kind of campaigning against um, movies from Netflix and other streamers being eligible for big awards. And it really struck me that it's a very elitist view to have. Um, I did some research in the U.S. There's about 6,000 physical buildings, theater, movie theaters, right? Huh. There's 19,000 cities in the U.S., which means that there's like a ratio of three to one of cities that just don't have movie theaters. And so when we say that the theater experience is is something that's necessary, like where I grew up in a small town that didn't have a movie theater and something that, that is streamable, that's available online. It doesn't allow for that immediate community experience, but it does allow for people in these remote places to be able to access that same art and have this connection to other people. Right. And so is there any argument that you can see there, Mark? I don't know. How do you feel about opening it up a bit? Well, for me, I think that the idea of a multiplex is going to be dead within the next few years. I, I mean, that's, that's a hot take right there. I know. I know. But you do bring up a good point about, you know, people maybe in the middle of nowhere that don't have yeah. access to a movie theater. And, mm-hmm. you know, an internet connection is really the only way that, you know, that, that they can access something like HBO Go. 
Um, and I can advocate for something like that. I'm totally good with that. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to realize uh, before the multiplexes really came into being, you know, there would be theaters all over the place. Uh, even here in Toronto, you know, a lot of movie screens were maybe one to two. Heck, I'm sure that there were probably three, but they were all over the place and they were all trying to compete for everybody's business. And I feel that's that's where, um, you know, something like a small town can definitely benefit from, you know, if they have a small one to two screen theater. I feel mm-hmm. that one of the major things that we're going to see within the next couple of years are a lot more independent curators coming in to showcase movies that we wouldn't be able to see on the big screen or – Sorry, on the streaming screen in a way where, you know, you're basing the the opinion on this one expert to come in and say, like, hey, this is going to be a fun, interesting time. You know, sometimes there might be a Q&A. Sometimes there might be a discussion. Sometimes it's like, hey, this movie won awards at this festival that nobody's going to get to see. It's not coming to, on any streaming service. Come check this out. Right. You know what? You bring up a great point because I was, uh, I think there was an article maybe a while back, but um, I think Netflix bought a theater in New York and I think it's um, specific to any Netflix film. I think that was around the um, award season for Marriage Story in Irishman, yeah. mm-hmm. but I could be wrong. But I think that's interesting. I mean, what do you guys feel about what if, you know, Warner Brothers purchased X amount of theaters from AMC or whatnot. And then those specific multiplexes are only running Warner brothers films or streaming Warner brothers films. I don't know. Well, there was a specific law back in the forties that for, uh, that for uh, it was the forties or fifties that forbid any of that. And they recently struck down that law. Oh, uh, or, or, or at least, um, that, that law lost, um, it's that or something, something yeah. along those lines, because I know that in LA, the El Capitan Theater is owned by Disney, and they show you know a Disney movie there. Yeah. Um, but according to that law, it's either a studio could be a production and distribution, or production and exhibition, or a distribution and exhibition. It can't be all three of them. It, oh, it, gotcha. It's it's one of those triangles where you know pick two. Yeah. Sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I think to me an interesting part of all of this is. You know, whether or not the theater as a business model is working or was working, right? It's like when you see movies like Avengers Endgame that have this like huge box office, are studios not happy with the business model as is? And I ask this because it's like, I think there's something fundamentally wrong somewhere. I just didn't think it wasn't in the benefit of the studio. Because, for example, here in Ontario, where we're all based, if you do like a base, some basic math of ticket costs and, you know, how much small popcorn costs, if you buy tickets for like two parents, two kids, small popcorns, you are paying 80 bucks to go out and see a movie. And An that's arm and a small thing. Right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, Raph and I have both worked at a movie theater together, actually, at the same mm-hmm. one. And so I know that of the ticket price, it's just like 45% that goes to the building and 55 goes to the studio, right? And from that 45%, they need to pay like all the, the operating costs, all yeah. the employees and all this kind of stuff. So it seems like nobody is getting a good piece of that significant amount of money that's leaving um, moviegoers' pockets. And so, I mean, Raph, how do you, what do you know of, I guess, how studios feel? What do you think? about how studios feel about this business model because it's not a small change that they're trying to impose here. It's like something that's like restructuring the entire business. Yeah, I I think, you know, over the next couple of years, maybe even in 2021, I think business models are going to change completely and drastically. I mean, again, I think we bring up a good point that it's it's expensive to go to a movie theater these days, especially if you're going with your family and whatnot. But I think a lot of movie studios were banking on the fact that a lot of people would maybe go see films again um, um, repeatedly. I mean, I watched Parasite like four times. <laughs> uh, tons of people watch uh, Avengers Endgame X times, right? So mm-hmm. there's that repeat viewing uh, because of that experience. You want to watch it with your friends or you want to watch it with your families in different times, different moments. And then you're, you know, you're putting money back into the initial investment for the studios. Um, I, I mean, in my head, I'm trying to think. You know, I think we were discussing this before, maybe in the James Bond podcast, but um, I think they were thinking of selling the James Bond film 
to one of the streamers for an absurd amount of money. And I think the million from what I saw, I think. Yeah. But I think the studio said no, because I think in their heads, maybe they're thinking that it's not enough of how much they would have recouped. They would have probably made a billion bucks in the box office. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know how things are going to change. I, 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 I don't know the business that well. I don't, Mark, maybe you know it much more in terms of the maths there, but I think it's, it, it, you know, I think we're going to lose a lot there for the, um, the movie theaters. No, yeah, it seems like they'll, they'll truly be the, the big victims here, right? Because yeah. I can't imagine that Warner Brothers or any other studio would make a business move that won't benefit them personally. Yeah. And people will still have uh, a way to see it, even if it's not the preferred way. And so really the only people that are getting kicked out of the equation here is movie theaters. Yeah. Um, Mark, I have another question. Have have you had a like what has been the feedback like from from this move generally online? Not just with people, but say like the industry or you know, I, I know Christopher Nolan has said some stuff. Like do you have a sense of how what the response has been? Uh from my circle of people who I who I talk to, um I don't even know how to how to describe the the reception of something like this with a lot of you know, friends that I have, and Raph, I'm sure you can attest, mm-hmm. independent filmmakers, at least here in Canada, having your film debut or or at least uh, distributed anywhere is amazing. Huge. Oh, and, yeah. And a lot of them have, have seen the online space as a huge benefit because, at least here in Canada, the production models of how our own films get made and distributed and marketed is abysmal. That we have yeah. to rely on the international market because we are so overblown by Hollywood that we don't – we're not even that aware uh, – sorry, mainstream audiences here in Canada are not that aware of their own cinema, of, yeah. you know, <laughs> of their own directors here. And what – again, I have to repeat this that I believe that Cineplex or the multiplex is kind of dead in this way. I've had mm-hmm. years – uh, there, there were a couple of years where I was working at an independent uh, distribution company here in Toronto, and I do, I remember all those percentages of, you know, a box office or the first couple of weeks, yeah. the box office receipts about ha- more than half of it goes to the distribu- uh, distributor, and you know, forty some odd percent goes to the theater, and then as the weeks go on, the the it favors more to the theater than it does the distributor. But that right. also is based on, you know, word of mouth and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, it is expensive to go to a theater if you're an entire family. If you're someone in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, or if you're single in your 40s, you can afford to go to a movie, you know, yeah. every yeah. week. You can afford to do that. If you're a family of four, a family of five, forget it. I, I remember when it hurts so much. And so, you know, what kind of movies are really going to be shown in multiplexes nowadays? Giant, big, spectacle blockbusters or Mm -hmm. giant event films or, you know, Oscar Beatty kind of dramas that maybe played well at the festival circuit and did well with critics for all we know. All a lot of I feel a lot of independent films uh, have to be shot for even lower budgets to do if they really want to look for theatrical distribution. I don't think that's the way to go to anymore. I don't I know if they'll think, even get picked up. Yeah, you're right. I think they're well, just going to disappear maybe. Well, no. Again, remember, people are still looking for content. They're always looking for content, but you know, it has to be at the right price. Right. And so investors, producers who want to make these films, want to make these projects, have to see the bottom line of, okay, how much will this film cost? How much can we get in pre-sales if we go to a film festival? How, how much pre-sales can we go if we go to a film market? How uh, mm-hmm. How can we sell to international um, companies? How can we how can we do this? How can we fund our movie? And that's always and that's going to be a huge huge thing for independent features coming uh, like within the next well like even now, yeah. Or at least I feel I I mean again this is coming from somebody who's only had a few years of distribution uh, experience and has never produced or directed a feature film. So yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. Uh, my sense of the business is that it will adapt to – like I, I, I don't have a fear that we will start losing content like you're saying because it's like there will always be – I find it very similar to to the, the phasing of the technology in the music sphere 
um, and how we went from like vinyl to, to, I don't know, cassette to CD to MP3, like music never stopped existing, right? It's just kind yeah. of how we received it. That always changed. And it yeah, and I think something similar, it's like maybe theaters or big multiplexes, like you're saying, they don't have a spot in, in the chain anymore, but there's still going to be something there, right? And it's just about figuring out what that change will be. Do you guys, um, I'm sure at this point in this day and age, we've all seen movies at our house. Like, do, are you able to enjoy a movie when you're watching it in your home lights off or is it not at all a good experience? I mean, I, I <laughs> oh, my sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, um, you know what? I'll be honest with you. There are times where I would just pass out and it, it's just being comfortable at home. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like that takes away from the movie experience and the, um, um, you know, just being there in the theater, the smell of popcorn and having your attention in one spot. Whereas if you're on the couch being a potato, you're going to pass out. And I think, you know, I I don't want to say it ruins the experience. I think it's really comfortable. And and there's Mm -hmm. something great about not leaving your house and just staying home, staying in and then pausing the movie whenever you can. So you could run to the bathroom. But I do think the biggest negative about that is just, you know, you're going to fall victim to being so comfortable and your, mm-hmm. your, your, um, uh, what's it called? Your attention span is all over the place. So I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I never mind. <laughs> well, I, I guess I can see where Raph is coming from. What about you, Mark? Do you enjoy the act or the ceremony of putting something on at home and getting ready and then watching it? Or like, you know, are you doing something on your second screen or, you know, getting distracted? It's a mixture of, well, for one thing, if you were to walk into my room and see the walls walls of DVDs and Blu-rays and box sets and Criterion, mm-hmm. you would tell that I somewhat like movies. Yes. Uh, but that being I, I, said, that being said, the relationship of it definitely changes. There are moments what what I've discovered recently within the last year or two is I have to be in a certain mood to watch a movie. As much as right. you know, I could put on Whiplash any day of the week, I and I can have that on in the background because I know how the story goes beat by beat. Sometimes you have to if you want to discover something or to watch a new movie for the first time, you have to be in a mood for it. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the relationship of what media of what media you own or what streaming service you have, you have to be engrossed by it. You can, you know, watch something and you know just consume it, consume and consume it like fast food, in a way yeah. where you just have to finish it so that you can keep up with the with the uh, with the zeitgeist or with what everybody's talking on Twitter or on Facebook or in your friend's group tomorrow. But but you know I, you I, know what? Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I I feel like in a in a way I can get distracted and sometimes that does take away from the experience. And that's why, you know, something like a theater is definitely needed. When Tiff mm-hmm. would do a Studio Ghibli um not festival but like a or or marathon but a program I would see, you know, something for the first time. I saw The Cat Returns for the first time, or I would see Nausicaa for the first time. And, as you know, I own these on Blu-ray. I own them at home. But I don't think I would get that same reaction watching it at home for the first time than if I saw it in 100%. a theater. yeah. Where, you know, where the film may have been originally exhibited to know what that mm-hmm. would have felt like for audiences to experience that story on a big screen. Whereas, you know, right. something that, you know, specifically made for a streaming service. I, I don't want to bring up Roma as an example because I saw Roma at TIFF first before I saw it on Netflix again. Mm-hmm. But what Netflix does in that respect is they know what movies would definitely play more to an audience or to a festival audience than just the online space. The online space is in a way, you know, their end goal so that they have content to keep people watching. Yeah. But to have that content and to, you know, participate in that experience where audiences can go enjoy together and be immersed in the story of what the writer or what the director has thought up of 
it, it's like yeah. no other. It really isn't. And I feel that you know, tying back to our magazine, tying it to Layer Butter, what was an interesting notion that we found was that a lot of people like the physical version of it or the idea of a physical version rather than mm-hmm. just straight digital, which yeah. I think speaks a lot to the kind of niche or the kind of community that we are all a part of because yes. – you know, I, I'm sure there's a giant overlap between people who collect alternative movie poster arts and people who collect vinyl or people yeah. who collect books or who collect DVDs or steel books. There's that physical idea of it that you can revel in it and have a relationship with that you can't just get from digital. Digital's convenient. Digital is clean and and aesthetically pretty. But if you don't have that relationship physically to to either recall a memory or to associate a feeling with, then are you really human? Yeah. I, I, to your point, I think there is something very dehumanizing about the way that we've changed our relationship to this. Like even throughout this conversation, we've constantly referred to this as content. Yeah. And to think of the dedication and the amount of hours of work that have been put into create a piece of art that is then being like, I guess somewhat reduced to as just content as if it's just meant to fill hours. Right. So it's, it, there is something um, that I, I don't love there. And I, I think we really need to uh, pay close attention to what's happening. So to, to wrap this conversation up, I want to ask both of you uh, a somewhat pointed question and put you a bit on the spot. So assuming that we're all kind of in agreement of how it's not an ideal scenario that's happening what are you guys going to do once COVID is over and the situation is there? Are you going to support this business plan or how are you going to try to support theaters or what would you like, what, what do you think you're going to do when you're presented with this option? Uh, Mark, let's start with you. I'm just going to champion going to an actual theater. It, well, maybe not a multiplex. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> as much as Cineplex is, uh, I don't want to go into that. I would advocate, you know, if I, I mean, here's the thing. Sorry, let me rephrase. Let me restart this part of the conversation. When Tenet first came out in theaters, I know everybody was wary about going to see it. You know, yeah. Canada's got it, but not the U.S. and all the yeah, yada yada yada. I was advocating at least going to see it at the Cinesphere down in downtown Toronto by the lake. Now, the Cinesphere holds about 650 seats. And with the guidelines for movie theaters at the time, they were allowing 50 people in each with a you know a small pod of two people per thing, so 25 people. And the mm-hmm. way that they did it and the way that they arranged I was really proud with what they did. Albeit they were filling up less than 10% of the seats, you yeah. know, I was still able to experience a film in a way where it was supposed to be properly projected, mm-hmm. exhibited, that, that sort of way. Yeah. Exactly. And what I'm going to do after COVID's over is I'm going to start championing a lot of these repertory theaters that I know are going to be hurting. And I know that they've adapted um, in a way where they have online screenings or online rentals where you can rent the movie and, you know, support the theater while also supporting the movie itself. But to actually Mm -hmm. go, but to actually go to a theater and be part of that community again, be part of a conversation, be part of a discussion to look at the films or look at the movies that we consume or that people have curated for us and wonder why like why those experiences feel so special to us. That is really mm-hmm. what I want to get from this. Why do these experiences feel so special for us? It's because it's part of a community. Yeah. And when that community is fragmented, when it's split apart, when we are all scattered to the winds to our own devices, whether it's you know to our phone, our laptops, our television screens, mm-hmm. it, it gets lost in the conversation. And yeah. the discourse that gets brought up, you know, whether you know you binge the latest uh, true crime series or whether you watch the latest season of Big Mouth on Netflix, mm-hmm. part of that conversation. I feel has to be done in person. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, everything that Mark just said there is, is literally what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I feel like um, the first thing that I'm going to do when this is all over is go to a movie theater 
And it's that community. It's that experience. It's just going with your friends and family, sitting down, enjoying the movie and having that conversation afterwards. That's something that I miss. And I'm, I'm sure every single person who loves movies misses that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, um, uh, let's hope for the best. And, uh, Let's let's go some, watch some movies. Maybe uh, Layered Butter Film Fest. Let's see. <laughs> Listen, I would love to host some Layered Butter screenings. I would love, love, love to do that at the Royal or the Review or the Paradise I think be or awesome. whatever. I, I agree. I think um, there's a big part of this conversation that will come down to personal accountability and your commitment to a community that you want to be a part of. And so I really invite everybody that's listening to to just always keep that in mind as we head into a somewhat confusing uh, 2021 and see what's ahead for for the this business and uh, art that we all love so very much. So I think that's where we're going to leave this conversation. When we come back, we'll have our, our, our last bit of the podcast and uh, leave you some with with a bit of a tease of what's coming up in uh, Layered Butter, the magazine. But first, uh, we're going to take another quick break. What do you do when you want to tell a compelling story? Sorry, before you answer, the answer is video. Do you like video? video? We love video. Video is quickly becoming one of the most important mediums out there. It's a key part of any content strategy, and we have great advice for you. Listen up, Raf. If you're looking for video, go to Big Pig Co. <laughs> Big Pig aims to produce work that is engaging, different, interesting, and essentially not boring. Who wants to be bored, Raph? Do you want to be bored? Nope. Right? So, in fact, they started because we they felt that they could create content that wasn't traditional and therefore provided more value to their clients. So, if you want to learn more about them, find out more at bigpigco.com. Bigpigco.com. Dot com. And we're back for the final segment of our podcast. Raph, before we get into the film club for this week, I wanted to mention that I did see your recommendation from last week. Everybody knows I found it to be an incredible, incredibly charming movie. I'm very happy that you recommended it. Um, It reminded me uh, a lot of Almodovar's Volver with also Penelope Cruz, but a different tone, right? Like, you know, his was much more noir, but it's the small town secrecy family complexity of it all that that really spoke to me so i'm very happy with that recommendation oh. um, this week i was hoping that you that as we're talking about you know whether theaters are essential to a movie experience i wanted to invite people to see a movie that right now can't be seen in theaters so i was hoping that you could recommend something that came out in one of these streamers whether it's prime netflix or something that people can sit down and really try to concentrate on focus yeah. on so what would you recommend um you know what um i saw the sound of metal this weekend and that is a um uh, release on prime amazon um and it stars riz ahmed and it's about a um, punk drummer who starts to lose his hearing and it's his journey of acceptance. And um, I have to recommend that. I think it's one of the best films I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the sound design. I, watching this in a theater would be phenomenal. But just having the opportunity to just sit back, relax, and enjoy this film. Even at home, as long as you got a good sound system, I guess. Um, uh, you know, a lot of it comes from that design. And um, uh, it's very immersive, very emotional. And, um, you know, I think Prime did a great job picking this one up. And I think it's a f- fantastic movie. We'll be better in theaters, but hey, check it out. The Sound of Metal, um, it's on Amazon Prime. That's my recommendation this week. Awesome. Yeah, I'll check it out. Mark, have you seen The Sound of Metal? Any quick thoughts before we move on to the hot butter take? I saw it at TIFF last year. And I, I got to agree with Raph. The sound design is amazing. Rib Riz Ahmed is also fantastic. I probably yeah. butchered mm-hmm. his name. Did I butcher his name? Please tell me. No, I think it was right. good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Good. Sorry. I'm so bad at pronouncing names. Believe me. I, I'm so bad. Anyway, um, I wasn't a fan of it when I saw it originally, but uh, I did see an earlier cut and I know that it has been edited down a little bit. So I would mm-hmm. want to rewatch it again just to know how much that story now changes a little bit. Sure, but, yeah. But from an acting perspective and from a sound design perspective, this movie's great. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll check it out. I have not seen it, Raph, and next week I'll, I'll let you know my thoughts on it. Love it. So let's let's move on to the final section, the hot butter take. 
I'm going to start first because um, I have a hot take that I really want to get out there. <laughs> Recently, there's been a lot of news about Spider-Man 3, the latest Marvel movie. Um, I'm a big Marvel fan of the comic books, and I really enjoy seeing that translated into the big screen. So um, they kept they keep on announcing that more and more people are joining this movie. It's now become a meme. I've seen people say that, like, you know, <laughs> characters from other movies are now joining Spider-Man 3. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. My hot take is that people are absolutely wrong to assume that multiple Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy's villains automatically means that Spider-Man 3 will be a mess. And that isn't to say that isn't to say that Spider-Man 3 will not be a mess. It absolutely could be. I'm just saying that there's no correlation between multiple Spider-Mans and a bad movie. The last uh, movie yeah. that everyone saw from the Spider-Man universe was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And it Amazing. was by far the best of these Marvel movies, right? So I'm just saying it can be absolutely garbage. I have no guarantee of it being one way or the other. I'm just saying you need to kind of parse your opinions and put it into the context that there's nothing inherent about multiple characters that means that a movie is going to be terrible because there's been a bunch of Marvel movies that focus on a single character that were not good either. So that's just my hot take. People need to calm down and put it into context. <laughs> hey, is Raimi doing um, uh, Spider three, Spider-Man 3 or is he just doing uh, Doctor Strange? I think, I think he's, he's doing, doing Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Which oh. is right before Spider-Man 3. So I think there's some of that like multiverse yeah, happening, yeah. which is how everything is what I think is, is happening. But anyways, my you know what? Like the, my main point, this movie is not necessarily trash because it has too many characters. It could be trash with one character or it could be good with multiple. It's so amazing. Now, as long as I got my Bruce Campbell cameo, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sam Raimi. Eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, my hot butter take. Um, you know. I know this entire podcast, we were looking at the uh, theater experience and whatnot. Um, I'm kind of okay with with the HBO Max deal in the sense that at least we don't have to wait another year, you know, for a lot of these films. I think um, uh, it'll be a miss to not see and experience some of them in theaters. But, um, you know, as long as there's content coming out, I'm okay with it. And, um, uh, you know, some of these films that I mentioned before, I might not necessarily see in theaters if everything was a-okay. Um, but having the, these films released on a platform in which they're, they're going to have a set date, they're going to come out, and it's already using a service I subscribe to, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think it's something to look into because there's not a lot of movies coming out right now. So I'll take what we can get. Um, I'm okay with this HBO, HBO Max deal. I am aware that it might change the landscape of the business as we know it. But since mm-hmm. we're living in this world right now, I'll take it. Sounds good. That, that's uh, nice and kind of you. And Mark, <laughs> why don't we wrap up with you? Do you have anything out there that you want to put into the ether? Any hot takes? Well, for me, I know that a certain holiday is around the corner at this point. And yeah. you know how people have their home alone and have their It's a Wonderful Life and have their Miracle mm-hmm. on 34th Street and have their Jingle on the Way. They have that Correct. Christmas movie that they could always go back to for comfort food. We Jews don't have that. I can name you all three <laughs> films, all three major – well, I wouldn't say major. Two of them are eh, – actually, no. One of them is a major. The other one are kind <laughs> of smaller uh, that revolve around Hanukkah. There is Adam Sandler's seminal classic, A Crazy Nights. There is the Sundance premiering Comedy Central Presents The Hebrew Hammer, which is basically a Jew-sploitation film, (laughs) which has Adam Goldberg and Judy Greer and Andy Dick. And, uh, oh, man, there's one other person I'm forgetting. Um, Mario Van Peebles and a cameo by Melvin Van Peebles. And oh believe me, it, 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 it is a hoot if you just know what you're getting into. It's full of nothing but American Jewish assimilation jokes, Jewish jokes, um, Christmas jokes, all that. And this and the last film is a Disney Channel film called Full Court Miracle, which personally I have never seen. But <laughs> believe me, I, I have made this list on Letterboxd. Those are literally <laughs> the only three m- movies that are not hallmark within the last couple of years that um, that revolve around Hanukkah, even though that they all are Christmas adjacent, but that's beside the mm-hmm. point. I'm just saying my hot take is we need more Jewish movies around Christmas time. And I don't just mean <laughs> Jewish representation of like, Oh, the Jewish friend for, you know, um, <laughs> Seth Rogen in the night before, because that's mostly a right. Christmas movie. We all right. know that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I want more Jewish 
like, sorry, not Jewish Christmas. That's the wrong word. I want more Hanukkah movies. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fair. And let's hope that, you know, some some savvy producers listening to this right now and can make that a reality. Uh, Mark, before we wrap up this week, I know that we have four issues of Layered Butter out there, all four fascinating topics. Am I correct in presuming that you are already working on issue five? Well, I wanted to say that we're working on issue five. Um, me and the rest of the ba- uh, layer, uh, not Baird letter. Uh, <laughs> I would say me and the rest of the layered butter team have planned out the first half of our 2021. We're going to aim for, you know, some special stuff down the line. But for mm-hmm. the first issue, which will be coming out beginning of Feb- like late January, early February, I believe we've set it for early February. Mm-hmm. That you know, it, it, it tends to go to a more nostalgic time because for me, when Ooh. I th- when I think to the winter, you know, sometimes you get a little bit more sad and melancholic, and you want some comfort food, you want something comforting mm-hmm. to watch. And yeah. the topic that we've chosen for this issue in particular, I de- I, I think definitely harkens to those kind of feelings. So keep your eye out for something like that. There you go. If you're feeling bummed out this winter, make sure to inject layered butter issue five straight into those veins. Okay, guys, that's it. I could not have said that better. I could not have said that better. (laughs) That's it for this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, make sure to go to layeredbutter.com. You can find all our links for social media. You can join our Discord channel and chat with us there directly. If you want to chat with us specifically, I'm at rcockting, C-O-K-T-I-N-G, on most social media platforms. Raph, where can they find you? You can find me on Letterboxd, J. Raphael. J. Raphael. And Mark, do you have anywhere where the fans can find you? Well, if I'm going to plug anything, I'm going to plug two things. I'm going to plug my Instagram, which is Mark Weingust, M-A-R-C-W-I-N-E-G-U-S-T dot M-P-4. And then my letterbox is Mark the Shark, M-A-R-C-T-H-E-S-H-A-R-K. And yeah, I have rarely been active on either of those in the last little (laughs) while because um, pandemic depression's a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know what? 2021 is around the corner. We can all be a lot more active everywhere. So uh, make sure to follow everyone. Make sure to stay connected and catch us next week when we come back for another episode. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks, Raph. Thanks, Rod. Cheers. Bye, guys. Later.